this is becoming a printing town. This is no longer that city that, you know, that people were like, oh, you just go there to get stabbed. Friends, and welcome to the 25th episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release an episode every two weeks, and on the off weeks, I publish an article on the Pine Copper Lime website which features images and maybe a bit more information about the artist I'm going to interview. 25? That is a quarter of a century in podcast episodes really makes a girl think. And truly, I have spent this past week thinking about how grateful I am for the reception of PCL this past year. But I'm sure there will be much more on all of that in a long, mushy soliloquy next week for our one-year anniversary episode. Don't you worry. I was delighted to see new Patreon supporters sign up this week. Again, you know who you are and that you are my heroes. Truly amazing. Just let me know if you ever need a ride from the airport, someone to read over your grant proposal, or to be your lover's lover's alibi. You know where to find me. I'm on Instagram at pine.copper.lime. Also, I want to give a little love this week to those of you supporting the podcast in other ways, like telling friends, forcing your students to listen, or leaving reviews on your podcast app of choice. Like this one from Waterpaint on the iTunes podcast app. Listening to Miranda's interviews is like stopping in for a chat and a tour of small print shops around the world. Listening to artists talk about their background, process, inspiration, and goals is fascinating and gets the creative ideas flowing. Subscribe now. You won't regret it. Ah, you guys are the best. My guest this week is Renaldo Gilzambrano. He's a community builder, lecturer, printmaker, storyteller, and printmaking advocate. We talk about his childhood growing up in Caracas, Venezuela, when he left home at 16 to study in Costa Rica, learning about illustration as visual communication, and finding a sense of home through all of these changes. We also talk about the amazing things he's doing to build a spectacular printmaking community in his new hometown of Spokane, Washington. Oh, and you best believe we'll be doing a double release on this one. So stay tuned for the Spanish version of this episode coming out in the next few days. But for now, sit back, relax, and prepare for some top-notch storytelling with Ronaldo Zambrano. Hi, Ronaldo. How's it going? Oh, hello, Miranda. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are things in Spokane? Uh, things in, this, in the Spokane are great. Like I cannot be happier of how exciting this city is becoming. Wonderful. I can't wait to learn about that because I grew up in Washington State and we'll definitely dive into it. But Spokane, when I was a kid in the 90s, was something that you just see on Cops, um, the TV (laughs) show. But I really am been hearing great things about that growing scene with the arts community and people building things. So I would love to hear about that a little bit later on. 
So I know your work, you know, really just from seeing you around the internet, and we've definitely have some mutual friends in common. But for people who aren't familiar with you, why don't you just kind of let people know the who you are, uh, where you are, and what you do questions? Yeah, well, um, my name is Reynaldo Gil Zambrano. I am a printmaking artist and educator from Caracas, Venezuela. I grew up in Caracas. I went to school there. Uh, until I was 16 years old, I moved to Costa Rica, and then somehow I end up, I continue moving to go to school, and I end up in Idaho. So then after that, I got married in, uh, in Moscow, Idaho, and then I moved into Spokane, where I currently work and live. I teach out of Eastern Washington University, and I also produce my work out of the Spokane Print and Publishing Center currently. And I do, I specialize in relief print in large and small scale and also in taglio printing. Beautiful. So you said that you, you were born in Venezuela and you grew up there. And how, how old were you when you moved away? So, yeah, so I, I grew up in Caracas, Venezuela, and I moved the first time out of the country. I was 16 years old mm. when I got a scholarship to go to the United World Colleges, um, the one located in Costa Rica. Yeah, and that was the first time moving out of the, the house by myself and living in a different country. Yeah, and at 16, that's, <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> yeah. young. Tell me a little bit about what role art played in your life when you were growing up. Yeah, well, I mean, since I remember, I always loved to draw. I was always drawing on the walls of my of my parents' apartment <laughs> where I grew up. I was drawing on my notebooks. I was pretty much drawing everywhere uh, since I remember. Always trying to, you know, copy um, my favorite cartoons like Digimon, you know, like mm -hmm. Dragon Ball mm -hmm. and all that. But also my mom, uh, she pretty much brought me a lot of uh, children books that these artists from Venezuela, Rosana Farias, who, who I really admire, she illustrated them and they really shaped me. I learned how to read through illustrated books and I grew up fascinated about the storytelling that they can carry, you know, like how these images somehow uh, open the imagination and reinforce the message that is later on written. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up with uh, fascinated with them, and I always wanted to to become a children's book illustrator, actually. And that's when I went to uh, when I went to school. I was pursuing that, but my parents uh, always were really uh, encouraged, and they they support me a lot. They always bought me like charcoals or temperas or you know acrylic paint, and they even like allowed me to paint my walls and everything growing up. Oh, I love so, it. So so yeah, so I. I was really lucky to have parents like that that just allowed me to explore my visual language and later on that got refined when I moved out. What was it like to leave the house at 16 and, and move away and, and start something like that? Oh, it was uh, it was amazing. Like mm. I, so in Venezuela, uh, the biggest comp uh, like the biggest industry is the oil industry. So everybody back then uh, wanted to be an engineer or a chemical engineer, everything related to the oil industry or a doctor or a lawyer. So there was not a lot of like opportunities for the arts somehow, like where I grew up. So mm. my parents somehow like talked to me and they say like, well, you know, you're going to go and do the science bachelor, you know, like you're going to get your high school in science and then you can do whatever you want 
So, but, but I mean, I went to school uh, uh, that was more related to the science and I got my ass kicked with, <laughs> you know, with biology, with chemistry and physics and all that, but I survived. But even when I was doing all this stuff that I didn't want to do, um, I was always drawing, um, um, doing projects, you know, inside my class and painting teachers for, for people or painting like backdrops for theater plays mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So then like I was getting ready to become the worst architecture ever because <laughs> that was the idea that I was going to study that in Venezuela because it was related to art somehow, I guess, you know? Yeah. And then when I got this scholarship to go to Costa Rica, to the United World College there, it just opened up so many opportunities. I went there and it was the, an opportunity to, uh, to study arts. And also that was the moment that somehow I discovered that I could use my illustration or my visual narrative as a way to communicate myself and my ideas. Because these schools, um, they were 75 people from 72 different countries. Wow. And I didn't speak English in the moment or French uh, that were the main uh, languages there besides Spanish. So um, it was great. Like, I mean, I, I, that, that was the, the main moment that I realized the potential that illustration or drawings or art had to somehow create those links between people and also find those common grounds between all of us, even when we were coming from different backgrounds. Even beyond the limitations of our uh, language, uh, we were able to somehow share and find these common experiences and share them and laugh, you know, um, and become friends. So that was definitely the best two years of my life, oh. like 16 to 18 when I was in this school. I love that, that you just, you've painted such an amazing story there about all of these kids from all over the world coming together and the way that you can communicate if you can't use words is, is through visual communication. I think that's what an incredible experience to have, particularly at that age when it really will be so affecting, I think. That's so wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, no, that was really like I opened it somehow reinforced what I knew before, like mm -hmm. somehow. So it was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then how did you come from illustration to printmaking? I, I was an undergrad and I had a, a printmaking class with uh, artist Matt Boudin, who is a uh, printmaker now out of Chicago. But that class didn't really resonate that much. I remember that I did the process, but I, I, I didn't really follow through. But it was until I went to grad school, and in my first year there at the University of Idaho, I met this guy called Tim Hahn, who is uh, a fellow classmate. And then like he showed me, because I was doing these large drawings, charcoal drawings, and then like he told me, like, hey, like, have you tried relief printing? And I was like, yeah, I think so, but not really. I didn't get really into that. So he showed me Korean wood blocks a bunch of prints oh, okay. that he brought from Korea. And he gave me my first tool that I still use and a block of NDF. And he told me, you should probably try because it feels that you're trying to somehow make in your drawings this graphic quality that is possible to get through a relief. So I just started drawing in the block and I carved this really crappy drawing <laughs> of a fish with a gas mask, which, which has been this thing that I have been doing forever that now became the icon of my print shop. 
so yeah, so I did that thing and it was saying, okay, this is fine. It took me a while. And then when I printed, that was the moment when I pulled that print, yeah. somehow I just got hooked on. My professor in the moment, Mike Sonicsen from the University of Idaho, uh, he told me, yeah, man, like you just got into the dark side of printmaking, you know, <laughs> like that's what happened. He just, so yeah, he how... saw the look in your eye and was like, oh no, he's another lifer. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was just looking at me like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that look. Yeah. So that's how, exactly. And that's how I got into it. Um, that was in 2014 and I have been printing since then and it's in discovering more like studying more and getting to know more people and it's been fascinating yeah yeah and and so it seems like now you're mostly do relief mm -hmm. have i seen yeah. litho recently like coming out of your studio or is that is that your work as well uh yes so mm -hmm. what happened is uh, I um, I got invited by Gregory Santos. So yeah, it's been great because I did some little uh, out of the University of Idaho. But you know, all the equipment and all that, I haven't really done it that much. I did mm -hmm. some pronto plates after I uh, took a workshop with Professor Kevin Haas during the Spokane Print Fest. Then, I mean, and now I'm doing, I mean, I did that mix, uh, mixed grid a project and now I'm looking forward to uh, to receive those prints back and see how that turned out so yeah so Gregory Santos got me again into that process beautiful outside of you know that kind of that little foray into litho it sounds like that you still are relief as your main <laughs> um, yes yes uh, mm -hmm. how would you kind of just generally describe your current practice I have been just um, diving into just narrative. I mean, so I, I think I need to go back a little bit, and I know that this might be a long answer, but I'm going to try to summarize it. So the idea of, I mean, Latin America in general, especially Venezuela, I mean, Latin America in general, I grew up in an, in an environment that telling stories is our daily thing. That mm -hmm. is like the treat that you get when you bring people to your table, you know, when you bring new family members or friends into your table to eat, you will always share a story. And that was the thing that I loved the most growing up. So that storytelling is somehow something that I, uh, that I keep celebrating through my work. So I pretty much am a sponge. I, ha I establish conversation with people around me through music, also to reading, or just by a casual beer or, you know, or maybe we're in, this, we're in Washington, so possibly a joint or maybe a coffee, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. And then, like, those stories somehow start to grow in my head. And then I develop those into a visual narrative into my blogs that they become more and more intricate uh, the more that I draw them. And then I allow them to evolve in using my carving tool and become uh, with a different mark making that my drawing cannot uh, fully render. So the mark making of the of the tool like just give them an extra physical appearance that later on is reinforced by the printing. So basically they're just visual narratives that tell a story in just one frame mm. so far and they go beyond the limitations of the written language. Mm -hmm. So they are wordless. Um, usually, I mean, they are big because I just enjoy working large. It's just, it gives me more freedom of using my body language on my mark making when mm -hmm. I draw. And also I just love, because I'm fascinated with murals. So I just love work that can 
somehow absorb you. So that's basically what I have been doing so far. And I have been playing also with color and also pushing that that boundary of like, okay, prints are usually black and white and they tend to be flat. However, yeah. after I study under Tom Hawk, mm-hmm. he like was always telling us like, you need to push dimension. So that's when you start doing, you know, the diamond cuts and and, and things like that to develop mid-tones in order to, th- to make, to create a sense of depth into that two-dimensionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so it's basically that. So doing all those different approaches in order to make an immersive narrative. That's basically what I like to do. I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more to this idea of the visual language transcending verbal communication. Because as somebody who we, we talked a little bit about before, my you know my background is in philosophy of art originally, and so I I love mm-hmm. that idea, and I have got all kinds of like my own theories about it um but i i I, it's something i really believe in so i'd love to just do a little bit more of a deep dive into what you think that really means and and what advantages visual communication has and what exactly can it get at that we're lacking in verbal communication yeah i feel that i mean it happens when we get to know each other when we get to meet people, we just see the external part, right? We see their faces. And this is something that I explore also into my series of inner portraits, where mm. I just play with the, the face to be a mask, and then the body is just created by all these different stories or bodies or other elements that somehow expose the inner world of the person. So when that happens, you make those connections with others, you know, that somehow like they get limited to the cultural uh, backgrounds of the people and also the faces or like, I mean, or the language. So this is an experience that happened to me in undergrad when I did this really large drawing for an installation for my undergrad uh, uh, show. I did the barrios from Venezuela, which are the favelas or Mm -hmm. slums with a sunset. And I draw them, and then one lady from Palestine came, and she was, oh, that's that's exactly where I come from. Hmm. So that was like, wow. So And there was something else that happened when I was in Costa Rica. I draw uh, this series of, of fruits that had a zipper, and they were somehow like connected. Oh, that's exactly like the fruit that we have back home, because they have all this genetic uh, modification and stuff like that. So I noticed that when you have images like that when you have a stories that are just visual, somehow make those connections and they go beyond that uh, limitation that maybe the cultural background can create and people will just associate them with their personal experience and open up those stories and create that dialogue with them. So that's, uh, that's something that I feel that is just so important that I want to keep exploring into my work. I have one of my pieces that is um, it's called La Sopa or The Soup like my mom used to say, uh, or como mi mamá decía. It's a bowl of soup that the soup, uh, the bowl of soup is, uh, there is a barrio, a city coming out from it. And it's great to see because that, that is a piece that talks about, you know, like memories and being able to transport yourself when you eat at something that just resonates with you and, and reminds you from your childhood. But I mean, like I have heard so many people like looking at that I'm just getting it into their own personal uh, experiences mm. and telling us about how maybe like they, they associated with like social issues, you know, 
that happened to them before uh, and also like to um, specific dishes that they used to eat when they were kids and they can like assimilate that or even like pollution or and issues like that that related to how food is modified and, and is being affecting people in a different way. I feel that there is something very important there. Like, I mean, because I, I, I my, my visual work comes from, I mean, many things are coming from my background from Venezuela, but also experiences from here and also experiences from Costa Rica and all the other stories that are somehow becoming part of my world, you know, like the people that I get to know around here too. So all those things come to get into the spot become part of a visual narrative that later on they can also find themselves identify with. Right. And I think that, yeah, what what you're touching on, which is really significant when it comes to the visual versus verbal communication, is that Mm -hmm. verbal communication is so, in a way, prescriptive. So I'm imbuing the, the meaning as the communication is happening in this way that it becomes really specific. And it's like, I'm telling you what this means. And I think that we're so focused on just understanding when somebody's talking to us that well, we obviously take it and process it. There's not that same kind of intimacy that happens when you're looking at visual communication and it hits you all at once. It's not linear in its narrative. Exactly. You see the whole image exactly. and then you bring to it, you come to it halfway with your own experiences to form the meaning. And that is exactly. is mm-hmm. where it happens. And I, I'm sure that arguments could be made that, you know, like short stories and that sort of thing, <laughs> people bring it and, you know, not to downplay that experience in written arts, but there's something about visual communication has become so personal that people mm-hmm. tend to really bring their own baggage to it, but not in a negative way. You know? exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. sometimes, you know, that communication is a feeling. They just mm-hmm. have this feeling inside that they don't know how to explain. They just get it. Um, and that's the thing. Like, sometimes I feel that that visual narrative produces these kind of reactions on people that we know exactly how they feel, they're feeling, but we don't know how to explain it or put it into words because, as you say, they can limit it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somehow um, words make people feel specific. Like, it's like, a, like it's, exactly. and, mm-hmm. and images make people feel broad and inclusive in, in, a, in a way. And I wonder mm-hmm. if, it, if it has to do with the fact that there's a little bit of separation from the creator in a visual, langu- in mm-hmm. a visual language. So, you know, if I'm just standing in front of you and I'm telling you a story, I'm a specific entity in that communication. Whereas if, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I created an image and then you're seeing it on a gallery wall. I'm not there. So it really feels like there's, there's this um, communication that's almost strictly happening between the object that's created and the, and the perceiver, that maybe mm-hmm. that's part of what allows it to go. So that's it, beautiful. And, and that, that kind of universality that it allows is one of the, the very best things about visual communication. That... But now, you know, like currently, I have been exploring also uh, collaborating with writers. Ooh, tell us know. about that. So, so yeah, so I have been recently experimenting with uh, collaborations uh, with writers, you know. Well, with uh, I did a collaboration with Luke Baumgarten, ba- uh, who is a local artist, uh, uh, or local writer. 
So I give him one of my uh, pieces and uh, for him to react. And, uh, and then he gave me one of his written pieces. And then, like, we just reacted to it. He wrote a, a, so, a, a short story about my piece, and I did uh, an illustration or a print, a relief print about his work. And then we put them together into a show, and we just realized, you know, like, all the common things that we had. I, me growing up in Venezuela and him growing up out of a small town here in Spokane, mm-hmm. and how we have this common experience with magical realism, even when our Ooh. cultures are so different. So that was great. And then I did this collaboration with Sharma Shields. We were 16 different artists from Spokane. Um, we took several uh, different parts of a poem. Uh, actually, it was a short story that she wrote called The Lake Witch. And then we just reacted and we found also these common grounds into magical realism too. And it was just great. And it just makes me wonder about what, what, what else can, can happen there, you know, if we continue collaborating and just allowing people to write about this illustration and also me like illustrating these ones and see what else can evolve from there. Finding all these different common points between like two different cultures, you know, two cultures that are, that are so opposite, but mm-hmm. somehow like have something in common, you know, which is this idea of explaining or telling or sharing these extraordinary events in a way that is just ordinary it happens around us like magical realism celebrates so yeah so that's uh that's something that i feel that uh, we're going to be doing more pretty soon too so that's another way to also explore my own work so yeah yeah i'd love to hear you speak to magical realism specifically a little bit because i know it does come into play in your work. I've heard the phrase, but only really know what it means kind of in a vague way. So I'd love to explore it really in context of your of your imagery or within your collaboration or whatever you think is, is best. Yeah, sure. So I was having this conversation with one of my good friends called Luis Reyes. He's an artist, uh, a writer, uh, anthropologist from Peru. We met in univer- uh, the College of Idaho, University, uh, the United World College, actually, in Costa Rica. We were talking about magical realism and how that is so embedded into Latin America, the way that we tell stories. We just like take something that is so common, but we give it an extra to it. There is a sense of hyperbole, but there is also a sense of narrative and enthusiasm and just like a little bit of exaggeration too, uh-huh. to make it memorable so those things can prevail and defy time and just continue living forever. So for example, uh, we have this moment that happened, one of my cousins run through a glass door once when we were kids and mm. that's something that my family still continue talking but you i just love the way that the people in my family tell that story you can just envision in your head that these kids group of kids walking or running into a slow motion <laughs> and then there was this kid that sounded like a thunder that make everybody in the house shake and everybody just turned around and feel you start getting that feeling inside their in, in their backs and then this kid just goes through and all the glass was spread out has you know pieces of candy everywhere from, from a piñata that no one wants to eat because it's sharp <laughs> right and then this kid will jump and then what happened is like he will just recover from each hit that everybody was just so scared that he actually might die from and he 
surprisingly has just like two cuts behind his knees. Um, he defied death in that moment. And now that became, you know, that memorable moment that made him a, a hero in our family. It's just the way that people tell stories and they embody them. Mm. And they just get so into it. And the storyteller becomes part of the story too. And then they just illustrate all that into your head. The stories become, they're common things, they're common characters, but they become bigger than life. And they resonate in our memory forever. So I feel that that's, uh, that's something that just makes commonality, commonality becomes extra, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I, I, con- I want to give back in my work too. I want to be also using printmaking, not only as a community building tool, but an education tool, but also has a, a storytelling tool that keeps these stories alive forever. And give them beyond those languages that you know that cannot be written on the, the the stories that I don't I mean that I know how to write about I don't know how to write it into a way that in English or Spanish so mm-hmm. I just make them into an image and they can prevail and continue being spread after that. I think that's a, a wonderful illustration. So I think that that this might that might be a good transition to my next question actually, which is that sure I feel like the idea of home comes up a lot in your work and seems sort of central to part of what you do. Did you say that that's, that that's accurate? And if so, would you, would you speak to it a little bit? Uh, definitely. Yeah, no. Um, my work also explores the universal idea of home. What exactly it means, right? Um, is home, because I have been moving so much. Yeah. It makes me wonder what exactly it is. Is the place where I grew up? Is the house? Is the material uh, parts or is the people around me so since i first moved out of um, my parents house when i was 16 i have been trying to find that and i have been realizing the it's a combination of things it's like this world when this specific space time all the different elements that just come together into that specific time and place they become that world and that world becomes later on home like uh, there is the inner home that we all carry inside ourselves that we can share with people eventually and there is also the external home that is that specific time and place that where we are growing or becoming some uh, the person that we're in the future right like where we're growing so yeah it's just uh, amazing to see how adaptable we are as human beings and how we can find these these places that we just feel comfortable and we can nurture our own selves. So yeah, so I felt like that when I was growing up with my parents and that's a home that I always can come back. When I go and visit them, there is oh, there is some things missing, but but it's still there. In Costa Rica, I felt like home too, surrounded, surrounded by 72 different strangers that later on became family. And now the whole world has uh, these different um, portraits are these different uh, faces that I recognize because all my friends are from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And then going to Idaho, I called that place home too. And when I came to Spokane, now this is my home. And when I went to Mexico, I had the opportunity to also find home in like these uh, uh, places where I can find these common things with other people. 
even when our cultures are so different. So I, I found that fascinating. And that's something that I always ask people about. And it's great to see uh, the way that they interpret, you know, the, those experiences and how they somehow build that space where they feel comfortable and they are they they fulfill themselves and they bring other peoples into their family and they become this extended family that goes beyond blood uh, restrictions you know that's really hitting home for me having been in australia for the last year which is <laughs> as far yeah, away right? from mm-hmm. home that i've i've ever been to paraphrase a hobbit and and that kind of the physical space versus the internal or emotional space of home. Exactly. To quote one of my, my podcasting heroes, Esther Perel, she Mm. always says that the, you know, the quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. And I think that that's something that is so true and that I've really found more so (coughs) after having left the States um, and having left that, beautiful incredible community that i had in seattle and you know you know as you say like there's this we live in a time where we can have family throughout the world you know chosen family and blood family and there is a sense of comfort and kind of wonder in that but you know having a home where you are is also really important as well and that has to come from the relationships that you have where you are. Yeah, no, and and it's beautiful because it, I mean, it's uh, it's that moment when you actually go out of your place, the place that that you grew up, and you go to a, and you immerse yourself into a different culture. When you start identifying or realizing these things that make you you, and also it makes you realize like how influenced you are from the place where you grew up. Like I feel that I, the fact that I live, uh, I, I went out of Venezuela, like it allowed me to to really rediscover my own culture and really understand about what, what it meant to be Venezuelan. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, when I go back, I can also celebrate those moments too, you know, like because I can identify that I can share it with people and I can point out those things to them and somehow we can honor honor them all together so so yeah no I I totally get what you mean speaking of Venezuela can you tell us a little bit about printmaking in Venezuela and if it's if there's a strong community the tradition there I I realized I don't really know much about it yeah um me neither you know which is which is great (laughs) so this is this is what happened so I was writing my thesis uh, from uh, when I was doing my grad school, my master's in fine arts in U of I, and I was just trying to find information about printmaking in Venezuela, and I couldn't find mm-hmm. anything in the internet. So I was like, "Whoa! Like this is something that is not happening, or what?" So I haven't <laughs> I haven't met any printmakers from Venezuela. But then when I went back home, my hero Rosana Farias, you know, the illustrator that I love, uh, she sent me an invitation to apply to a show in this. Work, uh, how's it called? In this spring making shop called Taga mm. in Caracas that I never heard about. <laughs> so I sent my work, and then it was when I went back to Venezuela in June, I was like, wow, I really need to see where this place is because I never heard anything about that. So I went, and the outside was uh, still like being built and stuff. And when I walk inside, 
Miranda, that was, it just like opened up my eyes and it was like a little kid in Christmas. Oh. It was this beautiful atelier that, I mean, it's just amazing. The equipment there, they have Charles Brands, they have all these amazing like presses, you know, for lithography, for for relief or, you know, also screen printing and all, all these things. And it's a beautiful house that Luisa Palacios put together uh, a while ago that now is run by a uh, master pre-maker, Norma Morales. They just showed me around and it was amazing because I felt that it, what I thought, what I, I mean, I couldn't believe that Venezuelans were not making prints. Mm. You know, I couldn't find it. But then when I saw that, I, I just, I, it just hit me. Yeah. We have a really rich uh, history also in printmaking. It's just that for the last 30 years, people haven't really write about. Mm-hmm. So so that's why they don't know. So when I went there and they saw my enthusiasm, I mean, because I was just like so excited and about then... like getting to, <laughs> to see my people there. Yeah. So we got there and we printed. And so we just talk about it and they give me a bunch of catalogs and they show me the, uh, their their collection. And it was great to see see me, you know, in that space surrounded by all my heroes from Venezuela, all the most important like artists from Venezuela in a, in a period of their careers. They went to the print shop and did some printmaking. The, you can see works mm-hmm. by uh, Venezuelan artist Gego, uh, Al- Alirio Palacios, and it's just amazing, uh, Norma Morales. So, so it was great to to find that connection, and then it just makes you, uh, it personally makes me excited. I mean, there is that gap that we haven't told our story to the world about printmaking in Venezuela, and now that might be the moment to do so. Mm-hmm. Because when I go to SGC, uh, HSCI, like I see, you know, the Mexican printmaking uh, being represented. I see the American printmaking being represented. I see maybe some European uh, artists also showing there. But then, like, what, what about this tiny country, you know, that is so rich there mm-hmm. in, in the in printmaking too, that having have their voice being like presented? So that's something that I'm looking to contribute and also to to help out you know like to bring that venezuelan narrative of printmaking into you know into the world to to see especially here in the united states too so that's something that i'm looking forward to to go back and continue uh uh, developing some research with this printmaking shop it was amazing yeah i'm still you know very excited about it i can hear it i love Mm -hmm. it and so are they do they have like an instagram or anything that people could follow yes so the instagram is taller taga t-a-l-l-e-r-t-a-g-a one of our biggest artists who is Carlos Cruz Diaz, who recently died. Mm-hmm. He also had had printed there. So it was just amazing, amazing. To, to know that all the different artists that I always love, like somehow in a period of their time, they were all there in that space. What a great work. connection. Oh, I yeah, love it. it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll definitely, like I said, I'll, I'll link to that so people can can follow them and looking forward to seeing, yeah, any any research or anything that you end up producing or portfolios, um, let me know and I'd love to help share it because that sounds like 
we want to know what's happening. <laughs> Sounds like really good stuff. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. And in, that, and in this point, I would like to thank you for doing this, you know, doing the, this podcast, because um, I feel that uh, for printmaking to continue growing and also for all, many people to, for more people to appreciate it, there is this part of education, right? Like mm -hmm. let them know what exactly the process is. So then later on, they can appreciate the print. Right. They can understand what it is in front of them and they can appreciate it fully. So I, I thank you for doing that through the podcast and also like bringing so many inspiring stories, you know, through this through this media and sharing it with us. Because it makes you it makes you feel that you're not alone, you know, like printmaking <laughs> can be very solitary, right? Yeah. Like you're carving this piece of wood all day, like without no one. And then there is these beautiful moments of community when you print like with other people, right? Like in yeah. the asphalt, uh, using the, the asphalt roller or any other collaboration prints, printing, and then you have the, the, that opportunity to make that connection and educate others about it. But thank you for that, for yeah. doing this. Well, thank Appreciate you for it. saying so. It's It's been my my absolute pleasure. I think that on that note, I know that you're... You're also, you know, a true believer like myself, and yeah, and um, are about the the proselytizing, spreading the gospel of print. Exactly. Um, and you've got a couple of ways that you're doing that in Spokane, and I would love to hear you talk about that. And so you've got you've got Spokane Print Fest, but then you've also started a community yeah. shop there or something. Like, just tell me all the things that you're doing and what's happening in Spokane at the moment. Yeah, so, I mean, I moved to Spokane. I realized when I was in my tiny apartment how spoiled I was when I was in the university mm -hmm. of having the presses, everything, you know, in order to make my work. So when I found myself in the floor of my kitchen carving a piece of <laughs> linoleum, I was like, wow, you know, like I, I didn't realize, like, how many materials, you know, were involved. I mean, I knew about it, but it somehow... You don't think about them until you don't have them, right? So what made me realize is that not everybody has access to these things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I applied for a grant for the Spokane Arts, and I got a, a grant to open what, what is called RGC Prints, which is a small printmaking uh, shop that, where I can do my work, but also to bring other people into the process and for other people to print. But uh, when I was developing that idea, I got contacted by a group of uh, artists, also and printmakers uh, in Millwood, which is really close here uh, in Spokane. They were like, hey, we do leather press and screen printing. Um, we want to move into downtown. So we were like, okay, maybe we should, you know, come together and do this thing, right? Mm. And then we have our friend Derek Freeland, who is... Um, animator, illustrator, and also board game designer. And he does all this, nerd, uh, it's called Nerdcraft. So he also wanted to join us because he was looking for the space too. And then we have our friend Dorian, who is uh, a master in bookbinding and publications. So all of us came together, found this space, you know, that Tom Carraway, um, one of the Millwood uh, members uh, found um, 
um, is now this big space where we have all the presses, you know, our, uh, the, for relief and intaglio. We have leather press, and also we have screen printing, publishing, uh, board game designing, illustration, digital printing, and mm. book binding. Mm. So it's this space that we put together to educate the um, the the community around Spokane and also to open it for them to explore the process of printmaking. Because, I mean, uh, printmaking is limited to, you know, the universities. I mean, yeah. those are the ones that have the print shops. But now these ones, you can become a member and you can explore and print and, and also understand the process. So... That's something that's going on. We're offering classes and it's going, it's rolling. We started in, in April and it's going oh, great. Wow. We're still, you know, developing fundraisers and yeah. you know, to expand our presses. So if you know anything about a press around the area right here, please let us know. Yeah. So we're, so we're a nonprofit. Um, we're just developing this thing. And in the meantime, because education is such an important thing in community, I feel, I believe that strongly that printmaking is a community builder tool so that's why like i mean we created this space but also we have been doing events in association with other galleries to just keep bringing the community together and showing them what the potential of creating narratives can can have into the community right so that's when my idea hit me uh, the, the idea hit me of creating a print fest like a place where the spoken print fest you know where mm -hmm. you can as a viewer or you can come to this space and there is all these different people making demonstrations at the same time, like printing live. And so you can see a student, uh, uh, you can see the demonstrations, you can see a student work, and then you move into the gallery and you can see professional work. Mm. That is the same techniques that you saw previously, but just somehow taken into a next level. So the whole event is somehow to celebrate printmaking for a full month that educates people and introducing into the process so we did that the first day the festival and then every saturday for the month of april we were offering a different workshop in the gallery surrounded by this exhibition of prints from the region and uh, we have uh, a, workshops, uh, a workshop on, on relief, a workshop on li uh, lithography or pronto plate, one in monotypes and one in intaglio. And it was Kevin Haas, Mary Farrell, and Margot Cass Steven and myself teaching these classes. So, I mean, I, the, the whole event was such a success that we are doing it next year. Um, we are incorporating more universities. We had so far last year, uh, this year we had Gonzaga, we have University of Idaho, Washington State University, Emerge Gallery from Coeur d'Alene, Spokane Falls Community College coming together. But next year we're going to be having also Whitworth, we're going to be having the University of Montana coming all the way and representing too. And we hope that this event continue growing because we want to showcase students and also professional artists and educators on the same time and the same place. All of these to educate the people about the process, allow them to understand and enjoy what a print is, mm -hmm. and they can be all part <clears throat> of making it too, and they can explore the visual narratives and the visual language through this rich media. But later on, eventually, like also develop our, our own market here in Spokane. So that's all these things that are yeah. happening right now that we're developing to somehow put Spokane in the map, because 
this is becoming a printing town. I love it. An art making town. This is no longer that city that, you know, that people were like, oh, you just go there to get stabbed. No, (laughs) this is a place where you come and you as a student who is coming out from all these different universities in the area, you now can stay here and Mm -hmm. you can produce your work and you can develop this or contribute to develop this, the identity and the artistic artistic identity of this town. So that's what's happening here. I love it. Mm. While you were talking you know, about all the things that's going on and, and like what you're building there, you put it, you had a really beautiful turn of phrase that I'm not going to remember exactly, but it was basically about how you know, printmaking is a tool for community building. And I think that there's something really significant in that kind of almost to, to tie it all together in this way of, you know, we're... I think we we know that we're in a time in human history when we're more connected than ever, but also more disconnected than ever. Um, you know, exactly. where we have friends throughout the world who we met 20 years ago in art school, but we don't know our neighbors. You know, we don't mm-hmm. we don't have we don't have we don't feel like we have someone in our town we could call when we're sick. You know, to just say, "Hey, can you bring me? Can you get me orange exactly. juice?" Yeah. Like, but, but I've, but I have fifteen hundred Facebook friends, and I think in its in its own way, printmaking and the community around it is an antidote to that. is is a way that people, in the flesh, person to person, because that's the way printmaking has to happen, really forms bonds and broader reach and broader community that. I think that we so desperately need to live mm-hmm. whole lives uh, is to is to feel that. So all and and I think that's the the success that that you're experiencing and the excitement that you have and that Spokane is having around print speaks to that need and the wonderful mm-hmm. way that our community and printmaking can address that. So I you made me so excited for print in Spokane. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, get, now you need to come um, and see it by yourself, you know? Like, I do. I was, your own eyes. Yeah. I was just thinking that. Come, I was like, oh, I got to go exactly. now. <laughs> Especially coming from here, right? Uh, and also, you know, like with that, continuing that idea of community, all these different projects will not happen with the help of others. Like the Print Fest, it was an idea that I had, but then I pitched it in with one of the art organizations here uh, called Terrain that they help out, you know, to make it happen. Um, then, like, the in rally that we do in Corden Lane, we do it in association with the Emerge Gallery. And we just developed our first printmaking competition in the region, you know, where we're trying to motivate emerging artists to, mm-hmm. and students, you know, to submit their work and also get gallery shows. Then the Spokane Print and Publishing Center we have been developing uh, you know, with the association, all the different people, uh, the founders coming together, but also other uh, other um, organizations like Spark Central, you know. Mm. So these things, um, all these different things happen because we are able to ask for help. Mm-hmm. When we open up ourselves to ask for help for others, like, it's just amazing what happens. Like they are probably thinking something similar and they're willing to help you out. But what is happening here in Spokane, I feel is like everybody's so excited about what's going on. They're just so supportive. 
we do a new event and people is going there mm. to, to to see it. We do a spring, a Spokane Spring Fest and they're gonna be there. They do, you know, a new brewery opens and people's gonna be there. Mm. It's like they're embracing what is happening here because they are feeling proud of what is being produced here. I feel that that's another thing too that community like also makes. And and it all in a in a broader sort of social trend way. It all to me speaks to the decentralization of creative practice and the decentralization of power in this really yeah. great way. You know, so it's 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 not like well, there are two galleries and they're owned by rich white guys. And if they don't <laughs> yeah. like you, people aren't seeing your work. Or, you know, there's there's one brewery. And, you know, if you're not in with that brewery, well, then fuck off. Like, it's just like, it. I think that people more and more, I'm, I'm loving seeing this trend of creative capital, creative energy. All of that is 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 flowing kind of outward as people are seeking that to find something that feels like they can be a part of it. And exactly. it's such an exciting time to be, to, to have that and, and to be people who are like you and I are both people who are trying to build something. And it's such a beautiful yeah. time to be building something. Yeah, exactly. And it's just amazing to see when you do that. I mean, and I'm going to be talking about pre-making again, like you do this event and you empower, I mean, you feel how, the process empowers people and they feel that they can tell their own stories. They can associate the, the, each other with other people and ask for help. But at the same time, they can take control of their own environment. They live here and they can actually make something happen. They can build actively into their community. Mm -hmm. And that empowerment is what makes the biggest changes. Yeah. And we are seeing that happening here. It's tangible. Uh. I, I it's just, it's love just great. It. Yeah, and it's not only it's not only me. It's not only us in the Spokane Premium uh, Publishing Center. It's also, you know, the people from Lateral Systems, you know, doing their own thing. All the different like uh, chefs that are coming from here in the Spokane and staying here to develop their ideas and creating things that are truly from the region. You know, and like I mean, in that with our uh, school teachers happening with our students in Eastern Washington University and all these things. It's just, yeah, it's just amazing. I think that's the, the perfect note to end on. But before we sign off completely, would you please let people know where they can find you, follow you, learn about the, the wonderful print happenings in Spokane, all the things? Well, so my personal Instagram is at rgcprints. And also, I have my personal website, which is reynaldogilsombrano.com. Uh, Spokane Print and Publishing Center has its own Instagram. It's called Spokane Print. And also, you can find spokaneprint.com. Sorry, .org. And that is the website for that specific area. And I'm still developing more about the Spokane Print Fest. And I hope that if you're in the, in the region, Please keep an eye out for April and May because this is going to happen again. And if you want to be part of it, please uh, do it. I mean, come over and try maybe taking a class or just printing or doing a demo or just being here. I mean, it's a lot of things happening. So, yeah, Nova, that will do it. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank me. you. Yeah.
this is such it was such a pleasure and uh yeah i will we'll be in touch and i'll put a link to everything that you mentioned in the show notes so thank you that's awesome no thank you Miranda. i appreciate it well that's our show for this week join me again in two weeks time when my guest will be peter lancaster and for the one year anniversary episode of pie and copper lime it kind of only seems fitting to ring in my one year anniversary with my first australian guest despite the fact that i've been recording this podcast in australia since the beginning and while peter has been a collaborative printmaker down under for decades i was lucky to chat with him as he's in the process of setting up a new incredible print residency in fiji where he grew up you will not want to miss this one this episode like all episodes was written and produced by me miranda metcalf with editing help from timothy pauschak and music by joshua weber i'll see you in two weeks Thank you.